Welcome to Ripstop on the Record, a podcast where fabric enthusiasts and DIY gurus discuss all things make your own gear, with the occasional poor attempt at comedy to keep it interesting. I'm Kyle Baker, the owner and founder of Ripstop by the Roll, and we're excited to have you listening. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Ripstop on the Record, episode 41. I want to start out today's podcast with a very simple question for all of us here, which is... What was the very, very first thing you ever made, and how did it turn out? Fairly rapid fire. Carter, go. Um, the first thing I ever made was a stuff sack on my wife's blue like sewing machine that looks like it was made for children, but somehow has a motor in it that's probably not safe. But and, uh, uh, how did it turn out? Oh, uh, it was great. My mom said I had the gift, and I believed her. It was good? <laughs> yeah. All right, Isaac, first thing you ever made? Uh, first thing I ever sewed with a sewing machine was because I technically count like leather work as the first thing I ever made. But on a sewing machine, uh, I had a project for a college class that was a sewing machine like drop basket thing. So it was like a basically a carry-all, like a forager pouch, uh, essentially. But then it had like a pin cushion on top of it that had Velcro on the back of it, and it like Velcroed to the edge of the sewing table. Wait, the first time you sewed was when you started. It's a major. pretty ambitious, yeah. like yeah. you didn't sew before you started your textiles major. Correct. Oh my god. Um, seems smart. And I think I got a B on the project, so so it went very well. Avery, what was the first thing you ever made? Um, I think the first thing I made was probably PJ pants. Nice. Who's PJ? <laughs> and, they, <laughs> and they turned out well. Yeah, I wish I knew where they still were. They probably got donated to Goodwill, but I do still have one clothing item I made. So maybe if you guys are lucky, I'll feature it on a future podcast. Uh, so this question uh, entirely backfired because today's topic is uh, intro to DIY and starting projects. And so far, I'm the only person in this room uh, that has made something. The first thing turned out to be like absolute dog water. Uh, so thanks for your good stories, but that's hey. the- don't disparage dog water like that. They deserve <laughs> hydration, just the same as you and I. Uh, yeah, cool. Yeah, so the first thing I ever made was a roll-top dry bag, if you will. But it wasn't actually a dry bag because I got random materials from Hobby Lobby. So they were not waterproof at all. They were, like, bad ripstop with, like, that weird other material. And I used, like, tubular webbing from REI nice. and, like, a weird pivoting buckle and stuff. It was really, really bad. It was really fun to make, but I still have it. I look back. And it's really embarrassing. None of you have ever seen it for a reason. (laughs) So thanks for indulging me in that story. All right. This is kind of a precursor for the conversation that will be this episode later, which is our Intro to DIY ebook, where we'll talk about how to get started and how to be successful starting your DIY journey. But before we go there, we are going to talk about our industry updates. So a few cool things that we've seen around the way so far. First, uh, Lightweight Equipment is taking orders again. They are a Ukraine-based ultralight gear company uh, that we've been kind of keeping tabs on after the events that have been going on for the past uh, month or so. Uh, And we're really, really excited to see them get back uh, to making stuff. And they're also sending 20% from each order to humanitarian and medical aids to the help their country. So part of their proceeds are going towards that, but their stuff is awesome. So check it out. Lightness is where you are. Is that their? That's their yeah. yeah. That's cool. I like I'm that. a fan, dude. <laughs> uh, Isaac, can you tell us what the URL is? We'll link all the stuff in the show notes, but for people looking, it's it's Lightway Equipment, L-I-T-E-W-A-Y, 
that are on Instagram at lightweight.equipment. So check them out. They make some really rad stuff, and we'd obviously be really stoked to support them in that. They have a cool logo, too. I like it. It's minimalist. Uh, They have a super sick DCF, like, hex mid type picture on their Instagram. That looks really cool. All right. Anyways. Other industry updates. Uh, All right. So this is, uh, I think, Avery, you noted this one. Give Give us the lowdown. Avery's always fine. Um, that stuff. <laughs> That's a fact. I do. My job is literally just to find cool gear and uh, enlighten others. No, but I found this review for this new outdoor research super strand LT hoodie. Um, and I just thought it was really fascinating. It's 100% synthetic polyester. And they're calling it vertical X super strand insulation that mimics 700 to 800 fill down. And then obviously the shell of the jacket is just a ripstop poly material, but um, the synthetic polyester really got me, got me going. I mean, it's also, <laughs> it's, it's really cool to see, uh, this is obviously I think a lot of us are looking for, or have always looked for a synthetic insulation that can actually rival down in terms of, uh, the properties that it, it inherently has. And we've been waiting for uh, some company out there, and we've also tried to work on it ourselves, to come up with something that is in the 700 to 800 fill power range, and that just really hasn't existed. It's starting to pop up, but it's exciting to see stuff like that. Maybe one day we can have something that's like 900 fill, but it's also full eco, uh, recycled, uh, and then also keeps its warmth when wet and, you know, that'd be sick, but this is really cool. And I do think the weight of that jacket is 9.6 ounces and it's by outdoor research. And speaking of outdoor research, um, something that we weren't planning on talking about, but I just remembered is they just, um, changed all their sizing. So they're actually going up to three X to be more body inclusive to get everyone outdoors. So that will no longer be an issue when it just stops at like an extra large, it's adding more diversity for the men's and the women's clothing, which is awesome. Final piece of industry updates is, uh, we just finished our maker madness tournament. So we chose a bunch of fabrics to vote on which one you all thought was the winner of this past year. And the winner, uh, Drum roll. That was a drum rolling. <laughs> that was Chewbacca. <laughs> Either way, uh, is Ultra 100 from Challenge Sail Cloth. Yay! I was going to do the applause uh, on the soundboard, but I can't change it. <laughs> Does it just say Shout potato now? <laughs> yeah, here we go. Potato. <laughs> yeah, we were maybe we were trying to learn the board and yeah. might have included a few. So shout out Hale and all the others at Challenge Sailcloth. Uh, you don't necessarily get anything for winning our Maker Madness, but bragging rights. So shout you out. It's a super cool fabric. Yep. I like it. I like it a lot. Rolling on to the actual topic of the episode, which is like what we mentioned, uh, our intro to DIY ebook. This is available now, so you can go to the show notes and click on it there. You can also go to our website and go to resources and click on ebooks there and find it there. You'll notice there's a bunch of other ebooks that we're in the process of creating, such as material guides for DCF, EcoPack, Ultra, XPack, as well as a Sewing 101 ebook. So a bunch more to come. Just sort of teasing you there. 
But the one that you have access to right now is the intro to DIY, and we're sort of going to give a, a director's cut, if you will, to this ebook. We've all worked on this a lot, um, so our stories are in that ebook in some way, at least how it's produced. So now we'll actually kind of tell you our stories with that, but also some some tips there. But let's start at the very beginning, which is in order to make gear, you have to have a sewing machine. Uh, well, I think for most gear, you have to have a sewing machine to do that. So let's start with the first part of a sewing machine is if you don't have one, you have to know where to find that. So we talk about sewing machines on page 11 of the ebook. So when you get there, go check that out. But uh, we talked about where we found it in the past, but some tips on finding a good sewing machine. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've talked about this in previous podcasts, but I, uh, for a while when I was first getting into DIY, I also got into refurbishing uh, older sewing machines, especially like singers from the th like 30s through the late 50s. And a great place to find those is like in the basement of a loved one's house. Or uh, if not that, then like a thrift store. There's there's lots of stuff out there. I think there's a, a checklist in there somewhere uh, where you can start to, once you find one, you can go down the list of things that we have to make sure that like, okay, this turns on. Or this, when I turn the flywheel, it doesn't make a crunching sound that is off-putting. <laughs> so let's let's talk about that. Uh, page 15 is a sewing machine inspection list, something you can take with you to a thrift store to try and identify a good machine. So we do mention that. But let's talk about the things that you actually need in a sewing machine. Um, quick, quick story. Uh, I remember when I got my first machine given to me, somebody else was moving overseas, so they were just getting rid of stuff in their house. And I remember telling Carter, I'm like, dude, this thing's really cool. Like, it's really nice. He's like, oh, like, you know, what does it have? What makes it really nice? I was like, dude, it's got like 100 stitches. He's like, I couldn't name 100 stitches. Like, what is that? I'm like, oh, it's got like quilting stitches. You can do like leaves and letters <laughs> and like the Please. super intricate, like, you know, roundabout stuff. And he's like, I don't want to crush your joy. Uh, those are all entirely useless. You need two stitches. <laughs> so other than a straight and zigzag stitch, what does a machine actually need to be useful for DIY? I think you need to have a machine that also has enough power to get through some of the thicker stuff. And most, I mean, most machines are going to be fine for that. Heavy duty, like the heavy duty singer that we recommend and will, it's recommended in the ebook probably. Um, the 4423, 4411, that series is called heavy duty, but it doesn't mean that it has like some massive motor. Most stuff is going to be fine. But you also, I alluded to this when you asked the question of, the first thing I ever made is my wife Ashley had like this blue like make a sew sewing <laughs> machine like easy bake oven for sewing like, machines. <laughs> you press like the gas pedal. I don't know what it's called. I call it the gas pedal. You press the gas pedal and it's like, <laughs> and then it starts. You don't want that. Yeah, you want it to be able to go through like spacer mesh if that can fit, or a few <laughs> layers of heavier ripstop or webbing to make some tree straps for your hammock. Uh, I think you're looking for that. One of the really cool features that my first sewing machine had is like the presser foot uh release it so it would go up to the normal height like any sewing machine but then you could push the lever up like another quarter to half an inch to give you like just an extra quarter to half an inch of space to get stuff under the presser foot which i found with really helpful. yeah with making gear is really helpful sometimes if you're sewing something that thick you have to like hand crank it but yeah, still helpful. So you have a sewing machine now. You've gone to a thrift store. You found one, bought one. It works really great. Uh, just a few tips on maintaining. I mean, like the just basic stuff. 
Yeah, I mean, if you're getting one from a thrift store, you want to follow the the checklist, uh, which I definitely recommend you go through because it'll be super helpful. I wish that I had that. I did literal days of research to figure out stuff that if somebody had a list like this would have saved me a lot of time. But go through that list, and if there's, like, one or two things that you're like, oh, this, like, maybe sounds a little dry or whatever, you can likely, if you're mechanically inclined, you can definitely do that yourself. You can look up YouTube videos. Uh, if you also follow the list and find a model or like a maker name that's popular, like Brother Singer, Janome, Janome, I don't know how you say that, uh, any of those, uh, you'll be able to find that information or you can take it uh, to a local like vac and sew place or a sewing place and they can give you a, a basic tune-up and then from then on they'll give you instructions on what you should do. If it's an older machine, you probably just need to clean it and oil it. Yeah, a lot of these, a lot of the newer, um, newer is in like the last 10 years probably, uh, machines, if you get one of those name brands that Carter was just talk, talking about, you can probably find a user's manual online. Um, and most of the time in that user's manual, it'll show you like, you know, ports on the machine to oil and like regular maintenance, things like that. The other reason I recommend older machines is because modern machines like that, unless they're certain brand names like Sailrite or something... Uh, which is like semi-industrial, they're they're like lifetime parts, so they don't you can't service them, which is why I don't prefer them. They're fine if you, it'll be fine depending on how much you make, but it, sure. if you can find something that's older, it will last. It's already lasted for seventy-five years, and it will last for another seventy-five, which I just think is really cool. So, personal question: How often do you actually clean your sewing machine? Like dust it or clean it? Uh, like, and like more than just wiping the dust off the top, but like taking some things apart and like getting in there. I feel like every time I sew, I make sure and look at the, I don't know, call it the undercarriage. The part where my bobbin lives uh, tends to collect a lot of dust. And I never thought about de-dusting my machine until we did one of these about a year ago and I was like I don't think I've ever done that so now it's just something that when I have my machine out I look at the hatch and I just take the little dusty brush and swabber for yeah for everybody in the uh, triangle area shout out Aaron from Capital Sew and Quilt uh He'll hook you up with a good machine but yeah he he also reminded me that I just straight up don't clean my sh- machine enough I, mean, I haven't sewn enough recently period um the last probably two months been pretty pretty chaotic but even before that i he said that i'm like yeah uh hmm, that's a problem i should work on that <laughs> i think too especially if you're working with certain materials that tend to pill i was selling sewing a lot of like velvet i mean obviously if you're working with these synthetic materials that don't shed a lot it's probably more of a different story but still good to get into the habit especially if you haven't used it in a while to just brush it off because usually when you do one project you're doing like a few or one big project and you should just take that uh habitual maintenance and maintain it i don't really maintain my machine well i mean i clean it just like avery said it's just that uh how do i say this without sounding like an elitist piece of garbage i have an industrial sewing machine in my house so like i don't need to oil it because it has an automatic oil pump that circulates oil throughout and so i don't really have to do anything uh, but I still try to – another side of the maintenance is also, like, maintaining the stuff that goes with the machine, like checking the thread and making sure it's not, like, 
split apart, making sure that you change your needle before every large project. Like if you're sewing a bag made of X-Pack UVX-40 or Venom, that's like literal just destroying the needle. It's like flat, basically. And you're like, huh, I wonder why the... Uh, wonder why the thread's not being taken up anymore. It's like, yeah, because you're using, there's just a piece of metal, small piece of metal left where the needle once was. Uh, but also paying attention to that stuff that's tangential to the machine yeah. is important. I don't remember what episode number it is, but we talked to Aaron, um, and he had a bunch of good sewing maintenance or sewing machine maintenance advice on that episode. So look back to, like, episode 26. No, it's like episode 15 or something. I just said a number. Pre-20, I think. Pretty sure. But anyway, yeah, go check that out. Um, all right. So you have a sewing machine. We know how to do that. Let's talk sewing machine or sewing tools, like your DIYers toolkit that we call it around around here a lot. Um, when you start out, there's only a few things that you need, and those are all listed in the ebooks. We don't have to go over those too much, but you, know, you are going to need scissors to cut some fabric. You're going to need... Uh, a lighter so you can melt the ends of your cord. You will need to buy some thread. Um, what are you can all see all the stuff in the ebook, and you, most of you, if you have heard of sewing, you're going to know probably roughly what you're going to need. But what is a piece of uh, kit that you really, really like or that you now need to have that a beginner might also benefit from? So, this is, uh, I would probably call this my tip of the week. Tip of the week. And I would say that a bodkin. Uh, is just, that sounds like a weird name. I promise that's what it's called. I never knew it had a name, but it's basically like anytime you need to thread something through a channel or through like a buttonhole or whatever, it's like a way that you can capture cord or elastic or a narrow good and then pass it through that channel. It's like anytime you make a stuff sack or a drawstring or a cuff that's going to have some elastic. A hood, a waistband. Yeah, it's like it's just so much easier than like the old, fashion ways to take a clothes or not a clothespin. pin uh, what are those things called safety, safety pin. pin safety pin and like clip it in and try to feed it through and you can't feel the safety pin and then it falls off then you scream and then you get kicked out of your house and your parents make you sleep outside for your bad attitude like you don't you don't want to do that so bodkin for me it's just just get one i think you can buy there's like two you want a flexible one too they have some like uh hard ones or whatever that uh you don't want to use because normally when you're feeding through a channel it's around of something that's not just a straight line made of wood. So you need to have some flexibility to move around the corners, but definitely pick those up. Probably on Amazon for like $6. Page 17 is the DIYers <laughs> toolkit. See the bodkin there. Isaac, what's your uh, tool of choice or nece- uh, necessary tool? Um, I think this one's probably obvious for everybody, but uh, I can't sew without tweezers. I hate trying to thread the needle without tweezers because I got some fat fingers. And muscular fingers. Muscular, dude. Don't shame yourself. Either way, they're big, and the, the thread is small. Um, so, yeah, I just like having tweezers. Yeah. You actually taught me that for sure. I never, ever saw tweezers used before you came to work here. And I'll admit, there's a time or two where I pull them out. The reverse action ones are like, they're always closed, and when you need to open them, you squeeze them together instead of the other way. And it makes it to where if you're like need to hold the thread and pass it through the needle, it just automatically holds it. So you don't. I don't have muscular fingers, so mine get tired. <laughs> so it really helps to have it do it for you. Avery, your tool of choice. Um, the thing that I can't live without is one of those rotary cutters. I just think they're super simple. 
the blades are super cheap. They're easy to replace when they get dull. I'm, I don't have like a knife block. I'm not about to like sharpen my fiskers <laughs> if we're going to be honest. So for me, it's yeah. easier to change out the blade. Um, it retracts, it glides. It's much easier for me than chomping with real scissors. That's something that early on I thought you had either or, like I thought there were scissors or a rotary cutter, and there's definitely a really good place for both. But I always prefer to use a rotary cutter now just because it is so smooth. Like if you have your, your right angle measuring stick or whatever. And if you make yourself a cardboard template ever, uh, that's what I do. It's really easy to guide around that so I'm not having to draw out the pattern and then cut it out. I just put my homemade cardboard template and then I go around it. It's nice. Yeah. Uh, my t- uh, tool recommendation is, um, thread snips, like get good thread snips or small scissors. I know this, like I've talked, I've told this story before, but I still think it's, it's relevant. When I was early on sewing, I didn't have thread snips or small scissors. I just had big scissors. Uh, and I didn't know my machine had like one of those thread snips on the side, you know, like a little razor on the side you can cut. It. I didn't know I had that either. So I was like cutting the thread with big scissors and let's just say there was more than one occasion where I accidentally cut the corner off my project. So I was going to like cut the thread and I just cut off the whole corner of my project, um, which is embarrassing, but also, you know, what has really helped that thread snips is <laughs> I don't do that anymore. All right. So we're, if we're following the timeline, people now have a sewing machine and the tools to start sewing. We started, you, did you start with your, was your stuff sack a kit or is that like, no, there were no kits stuff? when, but, uh, yeah, there's no kits at all. Really? There were no kits. Wow. I don't you think. started kind of in the dark ages, didn't you? Yeah, I mean, hammock forums at the time was um, extremely, extremely helpful. Like that's where, that's where I learned everything. I mean, that's how I started making stuff is because I wanted to like sew hammock gear and stuff, and everybody on there was so helpful. There were still now you can go back and look in all the archives of all the different stuff. A ton of like kits that now exist today and even full products are all inspired by DIYers from hammock forums, whether it's certain types of netted bug nets or like a double-ended stuff sack or uh, there's just lots of stuff that started from there so that was very helpful to me so i wouldn't call it the dark ages but it certainly wasn't enlightenment <laughs> makes sense um yeah so a huge tip for new makers we sell kits now for anybody that doesn't know uh diy kits to help you get started doing your diy thing and they are very, very helpful. I think still one of the worst parts, the most difficult parts for especially new makers is cutting out your own pattern and making sure you have all the right pieces and all the right components. And a kit puts all those, thing in, all those things in one bag that shows up to your house and you can just make that thing. And it comes with directions and it comes with, uh, you know, you can use the help center for tips or whatever. Like it's, it's all in one. So it makes that process way easier. When I first started making... Paper instructions are fine. They're, I mean, they could kind of work. But when you're first starting out, if you can have a video that you can pause and go back and watch and see, like, oh, okay, that's what he's doing with the machine or that's how that stitch is supposed to work, it's invaluable. I don't think I would be making the stuff that I've made without YouTube videos. Uh, so you made yours for college, so that definitely wasn't a kit. Yep. Um, I mean, kind of. Like, I had order of operations and, like, Okay. It was guided for the most part. I see. Yeah. Did you, what, how did you design your pajama pants? McCall's baby. (laughs) Just one of those paper, paper patterns. Yeah. Uh, I think it was the standard project. It was like that. And then a square Euro sham. So. uh, (laughs) What is a Euro sham? (laughs) 
A Euro sham. Well, it's like a fancy term for a large pillow that goes on your bed that you probably oh. <laughs> bug your wife about. Why do we have so many pillows? They're Euro shams. <laughs> My my wife is very like interior. That's not what I was thinking at all. <laughs> what did you think it was? Just I, I had no idea. <laughs> I was like, is that an apparel item or what? You thought what it was like a cloak or something? I imagine I imagine a Eurosham being like a like a handkerchief for some reason. I don't know why. I was just imagining like a twelve by twelve. You know the fabric. like the chrome dome <laughs> umbrella that everybody has now. The the reflective umbrella. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. That's yeah. made. That's made by like Light Trek, or the brand is like Eurosherm or something <laughs> like that. So I, I was like, Eurosherm. You made it an umbrella out of impressive. That's really impressive. Um, yeah. No, but there's a lot that you can do with just regular patterns that have been sold since the yeah. 1960s, where you go to the big cabinet and Joanne's or Hobby Lobby or wherever, and you like pull out the drawers, and then there's just like files of them it's pretty easy in a simple way if you pick something and then you can kind of go from there especially for making apparel i've always heard pj pants is like the the beginning diy project for that uh so this is actually going to be my uh tip of the week here tip of of the week week. (laughs) that's so cringe (laughs) that's awesome Um, my tip of the week is i recommend that you get our DIY kit, a DIY kit that feels approachable to you, but then also just get like a yard of fabric that you can just ruin. I think for me, one of the most important things was just messing stuff up. Like those, some of those first sewing projects and just kind of not really knowing what I was doing, but going in anyway was very instrumental to then figuring things out. I really like kits now because they're pre-cut, very, very nice. But initially I... I, I recommend doing the, that doing it that way because you want something that you're actually proud of that can be finished and be functional <laughs> and then something that you can just rip up, ruin, mess up a stitch, screw up the buckle, whatever you want and have it not really matter because there's also a huge value to just practicing doing it and not feeling any concern about making it good or not. Yeah, so excellent point. I totally agree. The $10 DIY box kit thing that we sell is literally that, right? It's like, a bunch of different fabrics of different weights with some different cordages and some different plastic attachments. So you can kind of mess around, sew different stuff. And also something that's really important if you're going to make outdoor gear in our category is trying out the different weights of the actual materials that people use. So going to Joann's, you're probably going to get one specific type of ripstop. It's going to be a 70D, like slightly PU coated. And that's like the only synthetic they have. So the $10 box, it's like, five or six fabrics or something like that and yeah so definitely do that yeah so you can just put the gas pedal down to the ground and see what happens everybody does i don't know if you guys remember the first time you did that on the sewing machine you're like really scared and you're like you know what i'm gonna do it just like (laughs) press it (laughs) as i mentioned one quick thing um about the DIY kits is that they come with everything that you need except for thread. Don't forget to add thread to your cart when you check out and to make it easy, just order like a few different colors. So when you have another project, you're not like, Oh, I need a $3 thread. Um, but yeah, don't forget the thread and don't forget your needles. Yeah. Uh, that's a great point. What are some other, so the $10 DIY kit we do mention in the ebook, you can look that up. We'll link it in the show notes. All the stuff that we mentioned, just go to the bottom of the show notes and we'll see it there. But a few other kits, just I don't remember all of them. Throw off the top of your head. Uh, DZP kit, which is the DCF zipper pouch kit. 
the ZPK kit, which is the same zipper pouch kit, but in Hyper D 300. The ZPP kit, which is a zipper pack pouch kit, which can be had in 210D grid stop, 2.2 hex 70, uh, and some other materials that I don't know off the top of my head. Uh, that's a really awesome one. It's like a DOP kit, basically. Uh, if you want to work with some of the composite materials, there's the there's a few Dyneema composite fabric kits. Fanny pack kit's really cool. There's lots of them that are all kind of in yeah. the same category. And, yeah, if you look at the photos and stuff, you'll get an idea of yeah. the size of the project as well as the amount of component. They all have a list of components, so you can be like, huh, I don't know if I want to try double zipper pulls yet. I want to stick with, like, a small wallet. It, but any of those are basically all the same skills. Totally. I'm also going to give another plug for Trail Days, which we're going to this year. Super exciting. Be there May 13th, uh, 15th. Um, I'll keep it sort of vague, but we're going to be giving away some really cool stuff that may or may not include a really rad kit. So if you're coming to Trail Days, keep an eye out for that. And also, in the future, we will be carrying a stuff sack kit um, for new makers. So keep an eye out. The $10 DIY kit will basically do it for you now. Um, but this new kit will add to this whole whole journey. Um, in terms of uh, great fabrics to work with, really cheap ones. This is also in the ebook, but for those of you listening, Hyper D 300, very cheap per yard, great fabric to work with. 1.9 ripstop nylon, and then 1.1 one, one, uh, ripstop nylon. All three of those are phenomenal fabrics that are very, very cost effective for being high quality and, and giving you an assortment of projects that you can work on with those. I'd also say um, try getting something that's super slippery too, like a like a sill nylon or sill poly. You could do like one six or lower, um, just to get a feel for like what those super slippery fabrics feel like while you're sewing, because yeah. it's going to change. Like if you're used to sewing HG three hundred, going to 1.1 sil poly is going to be very different. I, yeah, and I believe the $10 box, not to say $10 box for the 90th time, but that it's there for that reason, right? Is I believe there should be like a heavier weight pack fabric, a lighter weight breathable kind of hammock fabric, and then I think 1.1 sil poly is in there for that reason because the first time you sew that, if you've never touched it, you're like, I thought I knew what I was doing, <laughs> and I don't. I still don't know if I could successfully sew with one so far. Oh, you can, dude. <laughs> I have a little bit. I have that super rad uh, bivy that I made. Dude, that thing's pretty cool. <laughs> we got in it together. We'll put that picture <laughs> we in here. Did. Yeah. We I made this. I was. I tried to make a one-person bivy. Uh, I had some adventures that fell through that I wanted to make a bivy for, and I had it in mind, and I made it like with a bathtub floor and a bug net and like a central zipper. And like, and I was like, you know, I'm gonna oversize it a little bit so I can put stuff in there. And I made it so I could put my uh, ultralight tarp over it as well. <laughs> that happens to be made out of one six hyper D and two two hex seventy. Neither of those are PU coded in my case, by the way. Uh, so I made like this super rad bivy and everything. And I pulled it out for Carter like a year later after I made it because, like I said, the adventures fell through, so never I'm using it. And we were in my living room laying it out, and we both crawled in there collectively. So it's actually an emergency two person bivy. <laughs> There was still space, but then we kind of got stuck and we couldn't <laughs> so like find the hot. zipper, and I started to freak out a little bit. Um, it is waterproof though, so my tears just kind of fell to the <laughs> bottom. Yeah. Up at the bottom. Speaking of needing help, some resources for your DIY journey. Whoa! Holy segue. Hey. Out hey. of boy. Yeah. Um, I'm a hoverboard type of guy, but I like segways too. <laughs> uh, so there is a button in the top left corner of our website on the pre-navigation bar called. I think it says Help Center. That is a really great button for anybody there. It'll be linked in the show notes as well. But 
uh, there you can send a message and say, hey, uh, the Sil Poly is getting eaten by my machine. What am I doing wrong? And get some sort of tip. Or, hey, I'm looking to make a backpack with these particular things. What would you recommend? And we have a bunch of super rad people. Uh, not this guy. He will not answer every any of your questions ever. That's not true. I want to answer all of them. I'm joking. Oh. <laughs> no, Carter often answers a lot of these as well as uh, a guy named Justin who we have on staff. Um, bunch of really rad people that are makers that are very experienced. They're answering your questions. So if you have curiosity or if you need help, then it's people like Carter answering these things, which is a really helpful resource. So that's one place you can go to, to get some answers. We are here for you. Um, there are some other cool places, though. You mentioned like hammock forms. There's a lot of great forms out there. Our uh, MYOG, um, some other form. What are Backpacking light. Backpacking light's a great form. A lot of people are making really rad gear, and you can find it out there. We are trying to be a hub to you can come to one place, but there's a lot of other really great information. Not to say that we're the only people that have that information. Um, Reddit yeah. also has a thread. It's MYOG, and they have over 100,000 members. And if you're just curious about sewing machines, you can use the search function. You can just type in sewing machine. It'll bring up every thread where someone has literally been in the same place, had the same question, had the same thought about a specific machine or what machine to suggest for a certain project. Um, so that's extremely helpful for beginners. It's also for your career as an MYOGR. <laughs> yeah. And then we mentioned the eBooks, this one, this is a free download on our website and there will be a lot more to come. The Sewing 101 is the kind of other starter pack eBook that, that will work in there. We'd love to say that there'll be more in the future and, and we have plans for other ones. Um, so check check out our resources and other stuff. We make videos. There are blog posts out there, uh, instructional videos, so a ton of stuff that we produce as well. And uh, our YouTube videos, which now that we have a semi-permanent uh, production space, we'll be getting more out. Yeah. Soon. This is our studio, in case you guys couldn't tell. It's really rad. For those of you listening, we actually have like <laughs> sound foam and stuff up in a real table. It's really rad. Isaac and Avery, you guys don't have a tip of the week yet. Do you have something that you want to make your uh, tip of the week? My tip of the week is if you are interested in listening to the uncut version of the podcast, meaning the entire probably hour long podcast, go to the YouTube. You'll get like all the silly bits. If you want like the quick 30 minute version, that is anywhere you can listen to the actual podcast. I think we failed to mention that a few times. So all the uncut versions are going on YouTube. We are trying to do a better job at editing down just the juicy information for the podcast actual series. But if you can't get enough of us, head on over to YouTube and leave us a review because we read all of them, all three reviews we've ever gotten. So <laughs> if you can read read them if you can leave us a review that would be awesome if you can read you should leave us a review that's your even if you review. can't just figure it out we need reviews that's your i would say that, so that was avery's <laughs> i die a little bit inside every time i hear that i get happier i think it's awesome Next week, which is actually two weeks from now, April 27th, we release episode 42, which is part two of our How to MYOG series with Tim Martino from Learn MYOG. You might recognize him from uh, Learn MYOG. That is the real guy. It's him. And we're going to have him on the episode, but we'll have him on here with us and talking about the fears of MYOG and uh, a little bit about his story being kind of a How to MYOG tutor for everybody. <laughs> I'm really excited to uh, listen to that one, too, because I see a lot of the stuff that he's making and the... Uh, the help that he's giving a lot of people that are on Reddit MYOG and even somebody like me, like seeing some of the apparel patterns and stuff that he's making are inspiring to me. So I'm excited to 
to hear what he has to say for sure. He's a super cool guy. So tune in two weeks, episode 42. Between now and then, go catch up on other episodes. Uh, make lots of gear. Drink good beer. Uh, have a jan- jolly old time. Um, don't forget. <laughs> Never nope. forget. Actually, it's this one. Tip, Tip of, of the week. week. Oh, wait, sorry. Nope, it's this one. And, and remember, make, make good, good gear. Join drink good beer. beer. That's right. Yeah. Like, subscribe, share. Thank you for Thanks, listening. Everybody. We appreciate you guys a Desperately. lot. Thank you. Ciao.